From Midwestern Seminary, I'm Jared Wilson. And I'm Ronnie Martin. And this is The Heart of Pastoring. 1 Timothy chapter 3 is our starting point. This is going to lay out sort of the table of contents for us, right? We're going to be working through the biblical qualifications episode by episode. Some of the categories we're going to kind of bunch together a little bit because we think uh, there's some overlap. So we're not going to do one episode for every single clause of 1 Timothy 3, but we're going to put some of them together. As in today's episode, our very first sort of official episode, where we're talking about the overseer must be above Reproach. This is what Paul writes, 1 Timothy chapter 3, beginning in verse 1. This saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach. And we're going to include some of the qualifications like respectable, mm. having a good reputation with outsiders. All of it kind of lends itself to the idea of a kind of unimpeachable character. Mm. Someone that you would look up to, someone who sets an example to the flock, which is another sort of qualification we see elsewhere, above reproach. So, Ronnie, you and I both know from our time in just in the church, you don't even have to be in ministry to have this experience, but certainly in ministry, we have friends who have disqualified themselves. Mm. We have certainly peers, and, and then just in the wider evangelical landscape, it just seems like the horizon has been littered with the corpses of ministries, occasionally, literally, with actual pastors who have passed, but in, in the midst of, you know, some of the yeah. relational mess or, or disqualifying, you know, behavior. But we know people who've, quote-unquote, fallen. Mm-hmm. And I thought maybe we would talk about that a little bit. Hmm. Where does the above reproach start? Where does it end? What does it actually mean? Some people maybe read this and think, oh, this means that I have to be the holiest person yeah. <laughs> who ever lived, Yeah, which is an unbearable burden, isn't it? Yeah, for sure. But it, it does mean holiness. It does mean that there's a pursuit of holiness. Yeah, I've been on the front lines. Let's start here. I've been on the front lines of some guys who just cratered their ministry, and I assume you have as well. What's some of the bottom line? What's the experience like, first of all? What did it do for you personally? You don't need to tell somebody's story, of course, but just yeah. in the experience yeah. of it, what did you walk away thinking? Because it's not just an academic. When it's a friend, it's different than just, oh, I saw on Twitter this guy blew his life up. That's sobering. Yeah. But it's not quite the same thing as when, oh, this was my pastor or this was my friend who blew his life up. Well, yeah, I think that's the word. You know, I think, I think sobriety is the word. That's, that's what comes to me with it, which is, you know, there's that, you know, we're just, we're, I think intrinsically as human beings, we're, we're just, we're, we're sort of on the edge of self-righteousness all the time. Mm. And I think that is the battle. That's the battle between, you know, you know, holiness and obedience is on one side, right, that we're pursuing and that hopefully we're growing into, but then we got this, we got this devil side of us, which is our flesh and our self-righteousness. And I think when we, when we're close to somebody that has flamed out, you, hopefully you feel the flame, you feel the heat of that flame. And you realize that it's not that I'm so far from that. It's how close I am to that and how we are just, we are on the, you know, we're on the verge, you know, we're, we're a minute away from being people who are not above reproach at any given any given hour. And I think it just, it should humble you. 
And rather than make you think, well, you know, thank God I'm not like that person, right? It should put us in that place of beating our chest and saying, God have mercy on me, you know, a sinner. I think in some ways I'm, I think so, I think I battle both sides of that. I think I battle a self-righteousness, which is like, that could never be me. Thank God that's not me and it could never be me, right? So I'm a Pharisee on one hand when Mm -hmm. I deal with it. And then there's just that, so that's the shadow side of it. And then there's this other side of it where I just go, oh my gosh, it's like, that's me in one minute if I'm not careful. And so I think it produces fear in me, it produces sadness in me, and it in that that battle sort of wells up, which is like that could never be me. And I think as I've grown in sanctification, I think I'm at least I'm a little more aware, hopefully, of saying that man that is me. that's me in a minute if I'm not careful. Yeah. So it's very fearful, you know. I, I remember sitting in the backyard of a very good friend in the wake of him having essentially done the nuclear option on his life yeah. and on his ministry. I mean, he lost everything. To my knowledge, not his not his marriage, praise God. He and his wife are still together, to my best recollection. It, we are not in touch anymore. He kind of ghosted me. So that's why, if you're wondering, like, how do you not know? Well, yeah. at the time, they were still together. I assume that they're still together, but he not in contact anymore. But in the in the wake of he blew up his career, his ministry, and he had a growing imprint, you know, footprint, on things, and I was sitting in the you know in his backyard, and we were trying not to just dwell in the in the mess. Yeah. But when something like that happens, you just can't help but you're just dwelling in the mess. And I and I love him, and 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 wanted to be his friend. I was not there as a judge. I I was there to to sit in the mess with him, not to excuse or or gloss over anything that he had done, but to say like, hey, you know, Jesus still loves you and, and, and I still love you and yeah. I'm, I'm, you know, I'm going to sit beside you and, and let's, talk about, let's talk about the future, you know, what does it look like and what you're going to do and those sorts of things, but let's just be friends and kind of shoot the breeze and all these sorts of things. And I remember being struck by, as he talked about some of the details of, of what he had done, and I just, I knew he was not being totally honest, mm. even in that moment. Yeah there were things he was spinning or covering. Mm. And I just internally, I didn't say this to him externally, but internally I thought if there was any time to just put the cards out on the table, mm. this is it. Like there's nothing left to hold on to. You've lost all the stuff. You're not going to get it back, at least not anytime soon. But you're still kind of trying to manage. He was still being protected. He was still being protected, yeah. still trying to manage his image and manage things and tell a certain story about what had happened that I knew wasn't true. Yeah. So I, I walked away sober-minded and really warned internally about a couple of things. Number one, in my friendships, because I, I didn't see it coming, mm. when when he blew his life up with a moral failing, I was shocked I would not have put him on a list of people prone to doing that. Like, you know, if I'm thinking of people that I know that could do something like that, he would not have been on the list. And so it just blew me away. And what it did is make me think, like, do I know my friends? Like, am I asking the right questions? Am I not a good enough friend that they could tell me they're struggling? Or, or, I mean, it just had me reeling in that sense. But it also just personally made me think, like, I want to be as appropriately transparent as I can yeah. in my public ministry, certainly. And I've tried to approach that in my writing, in my in, in, in my preaching, just in, in my daily ministry, to be as honest as I can and confessional as I can. I mean, there's a point where, at which, you know, you save the, 
the deepest stuff for your closest friends, for your spouse and, yeah. and, and so forth. But I don't want to put up an image. I don't want to put up some kind of managed facade. I want to be real and I want people to really know me. And that includes being somewhat confessional and transparent. But certainly in my personal relationships with my fellow elders, with my wife, with my close friends, I want them to know the real me because I was warned away f- from this idea of like once you start putting up some kind of image of yourself, yeah. you're you're now in the shadow of something yeah. and sin grows in that darkness. Yeah. If you're only letting people see what you want them to see, the real you, the the dark side of you can really begin to take over. Yeah, for sure. And eventually you can't keep it secret any longer. It, I know and I th- I think one of the I think one of the things that that kind of pops up when you say that is, you know, one of the ways that we guard against wandering is by admitting that we are prone to wandering. Like so the first step of being guarded against that is saying, gosh, I'm a minute away from a mess. You know, and by a minute, I, I don't mean that we're like we're walking around like we're like these la- like we're you know it's just we're like, just on the verge of falling right. It's like a constant landmine, right? Yeah, you don't have to say it like that, you know, because I you know I can I can tell you right now I I think I, I think looking at my life with through through a lens of wisdom I I don't know that I necessarily see anything there right now, but it doesn't mean that there but but I have to also at the same time say but there's a lot I don't see. And so I can tell you right now, I, I think what I can see, it, it doesn't appear to be that there's any like landmines there, but that's the nature of a landmine is you can't see it. Yeah. And I think just by admitting that and being honest about that, I think on a foundational level, which is to say, hey, I, what I know is that I don't know. I just think there's a way that we, there's a way that I think being above reproach, the first step towards being above reproach is being, is being low. So to be above something mm. in the Christian life is to be low. You just come up with that? I, I don't know. <laughs> and um, it's well, it's it's that. That's no, good. It's good. It's like that it. humble. It's that it's that humility that I hopefully you learn through years. He, he who will, would be exalted must humble himself. Must humble himself. Yes, okay. Yeah. So above reproach is beginning low, and that's how we become above those things. Mm. You know, and again, that's by God's grace and. And you know, and I would say in the in the less in the um, in the ways that we sin that don't disqualify us, I mean, those are learning moments for us because in the way in the ways that we sin just on a like on a on a quote unquote normal level, I mean, that's just that's proof that we can sin at a at a level of, of disqualification in terms of what it means to be an elder, and that should just be that should just be something that even daily we just go, I don't you know I don't got this thing. Like the Lord has to have me in this thing because I don't have this thing. And um, so it, it becomes almost like a, a, a life. It becomes almost like a, a lifestyle of looking, looking at the world through a lens that just says, "Hey, I'm prone to wandering, and unless the Lord like keeps me safe and keeps me guarded and, and lets me continue to grow in, in my self awareness of what I don't know, I'm just going to be more susceptible." Let me ask you this: When people hear the words "moral failing" or disqualification, yeah, yeah. and you know, part of the aim, just sort of a ancillary aim of this podcast as we work through the qualifications is that there's actually a number of ways to disqualify yourself. Mm. I mean, if someone is inhospitable, that's a disqualifying, right? It's not the same thing as having an affair or being sexually immoral. Yeah. But being inhospitable, being unable to teach, you know, it's not a it's not yeah. a sin, but it is a qualification. It's a disqualification yeah. in some way. But when people hear moral failing or disqualification, they immediately go to sexual immorality. That's kind of the first thing we go to because that's typically what we hear. Sometimes there's financial improprieties and other things, and and increasingly so. We're going to talk about this in a later episode. Increasingly so, 
we're, we're now beginning to take seriously the, the qualification that someone is not a bully, not quarrelsome. We're beginning to see spiritual some, abuse. Yeah, spiritual yeah. abuse. We're beginning yeah. to see that really the church kind of, you know, trying to get their arms around that. But the first sort of thing we think about is kind of moral failing sexual yeah. immorality. There's, a, I'm sure, a lot of young leaders, a lot of young pastors listening. There is a, the ongoing struggle, particularly for young men, but not just young men. I think increasingly so for women. The the, the data bears this out. But porn use and just the sin of lust and the fires of lust that just seem to like they're just so hard to put out once it gets into the pasture into yeah. the into the field. It's like you you stomp one out and you see that it's catching fire somewhere else. And I'm sure there's a lot of young pastors or young leaders listening who who are struggling with this on a daily basis. And I think this I I think I know this because as a pastor now, it just seems to be like it's almost like I mean I, I don't mean to make light of it, but like playing whack a mole with pastoral ministry where. This one case, there's a guy struggling with pornography, and you sort of like, let's get some, you know, some counseling, accountability. Yeah, let's yeah. talk to your wife. I mean, all these sorts of things. As soon as you kind of address that, another one. Oh, here's another one, and just Pops like, up. oh man, this is such a, you know, maybe the, you know, the famous book title is "Every Young Man's Battle" or "Every Man's Battle." Yeah, that's maybe overstated, but it's not far overstated. It's a, it's a very common thing, and it's, and it's, I think, in some ways, guys who are starting out in ministry, who, who or who aspire to ministry. They're like shooting buckshot in their kind of above reproach yeah, qualification and from it, the outset. Yeah. So all of that is a big introduction to me asking you, at our age now, does it get easier? Is there an encouragement to younger people? You know, sin is always there. I'm not saying we become sinless, but is there an advantage achieving this above reproach or developing, growing in your above reproachness in this area? Do you think as you get older, it gets easier? Yeah, well, that's a really good question. And if so, why? Yeah. I mean, maybe you don't think so. And 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 I don't. I mean, I I don't have like a canned answer here that I'm waiting to hear from you. I just. Yeah, I'm not sure. You know, I, it's a great question. I'm I'm not. I'm not sure. Other than I know. Well, I can speak from experience in the sense that I think different levels of maturity, like there's different challenges in each level of maturity. You know, and so when you think of like a a baby, and you think of what they're battling with at at one and two and three and four and five. You know, a five-year-old is not they're, – they're, they're not struggling with walking anymore. Okay. You know, and I think some of these – I think when we take it more into, like, the spiritual realm of, you know, and, and talking about qualifications for elders, it's like, yeah, I would say that – I would say now, you know, as, as, as being somebody who is recently in his 50s – I'm just going to phrase it like that. <laughs> recently. Um, How recently? Very recently, talking? within oh. the last couple of years. Okay. Um, <laughs> Uh, you know, like the things that, the things that I'll, I'll phrase it like this: like the things that trouble me and the things that are challenges for me. I mean, they are different than they were when I was like twenty-five years old, yeah. when I was thirty-five years old. I wouldn't say that they're any less significant, but I would say that they are. They, they've kind of they've transitioned into into a realm that would be just much more in the realm for me personally of things that might be. Things that might not fall into like say a like a the nature of whether I'm qualified to be an elder, but more into areas of like I would say like deep sanctification in terms of like why do I still you know you know where's where do I find these holes and these troubled areas in my relationship with Jesus mm. you know in ways that I'm in ways that I don't trust him in in areas in spheres that that still kind of find me kind of you know in you know, in areas that that are still sort of characterized by, by like pockets of immaturities, 
that that just find me like not quite as not not quite as like characteristic of Jesus as as I as I maybe could be, but yet at the same time. It's not something overtly to where I would need to sit down with you and say, "Hey, I'm I'm still I'm still drawn to these images on the computer, and yeah, I'm yeah. and I'm still you know I'm still sort of like I'm still kind of bursting out in um like in impatience when it comes to certain things, or you know I have a I have a temper that really needs to be sort of like worked on. So they might not be as overt, you know, as as they may maybe would have been 25 years ago, but they're still. There's still, and I'm not being as clear about this as I as I wish I could be, because the the words are escaping me. But just in terms of just it being like something that would be as noticeable, it's maybe more internal than it would be something that could really be seen from the outside. And these, but these are things that grieve me. Yeah, you know, so areas that where I wish I would have, wish I would have gotten more growth in these areas. But yeah, but 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 it hasn't happened in the pacing of them hasn't happened in the way that I would have hoped, you know, and it goes back to Romans seven, you know, I think with Paul where he just says, Hey, I, st- I'm still, you know, I'm, st- I'm doing the things I don't want to do. Yeah. I'm still, I'm slow in these areas yeah. of sanctification. And I, I would say it's a little more like that. And I'm not trying to be vague. I'm just kind of missing my words a little bit. But. Yeah. I struggle with sometimes making the connection. I, I really try to get my arms around this because as you know, like this was my, str- like I blew my life up in, as a young man with pornography use Okay. Um, my marriage is broken. Yeah. Et cetera. And you know, praise God, He you know reconstituted me, re- restored my marriage, all these sorts yeah. of things. In effect, that experience, in a kind of, cure, it didn't cure me of the sin of lust, but it, it cured me of that expression of it in yeah. In, yeah. in large ways. I won't say I've, I've never been tempted ever since then, but in that moment, it was like I lost my taste for that. Now. You know, twenty, you know, almost twenty years later, I I struggle when young men, especially like, they get caught by their wife using porn or something like yeah. that, and of course it's devastating and it's saddening and they're apologetic and they're confessional and they're like, I, I want to, you know, I don't want to do this anymore. I know, you know, I'm repentant and all these sorts of things, and then they continue to struggle, even though that was my struggle at where I'm at now. I'm kind of like, I don't understand it. Right. I, I don't know if I'm so far removed, yeah, but like right. I, I don't have that impulse. And again, I'm not saying I never struggle with lust or anything like that. But, but that like, expression. But yeah, but I just don't yeah. have that. Like I, I don't care to see it and it and it feels gross to me. And and I just think, why would you keep doing that? But I I did that. Like, yeah. I, I mean, yeah. I was in their shoes in some sense. But now at, at this age, like I, I've got to figure out the right kind of empathy to connect because to minister to that person – I need to understand what the idol is. Absolutely, what the, I need, to, and I have to, in some ways, embrace the discomfort of reminding myself, "Hey, what was it that kept driving me back?" That's good. I yeah. would apologize and get, you know, and be like, "I'll never do this again." And kind of on a merry-go-round, and, yeah, with and it. then yeah. go right back into it. And yeah, I, I now at my at my age and my vantage point, I just find that so stupid. I don't why. I like just stop, <laughs> right? <laughs> right? You yeah, just stop. Get Bob Newhart with and it, yet yeah. I couldn't just. Stop, you couldn't, or, or like yeah. I could, but I didn't, and so I'm I'm having to kind of reconnect with that. And that's important for us to like to pastor people like to, that, right? To understand, to you know. to put ourselves back in that place. So here's here's kind of a okay. So I'm glad you said that because I think th- this might help our listeners. So for me, if anything, if if nothing so far has, this is it. <laughs> right, this, no, this is not it. <laughs> this is the part that's going to help. This is not the part that's going to help. But it's to offer sort of like it's it's sort of offer like the the variation of what we're talking about. So for me. Porn was not a struggle for me. Okay. So by God's grace, 
somehow yeah, avoided that. Right yeah, I don't know. I don't know. But I had I had equally as I had equally as 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 difficult and challenging and sinful as struggles. So for me at that time, at that age, I was married young, but I was pursuing, you know, a music career. And so for me, you know, this idea of being incredibly self-focused and pursuing idols and just literally like being somebody who had sort of in some ways where as some people would have looked at my life pursuing music and doing it as sort of like like an act of ministry and doing it for the Lord, in fact, it couldn't have been more opposite of that. It was all about sort of like, you know, promoting my brand and getting as far as I could go and being just completely obsessed with what I was doing to the point to where, when in, you know, in fact, Christ was just squeezed out of the equation completely, but nobody would have known that. So in other words, you look at somebody struggling with porn, if they're honest about it, it's overt. And you go, well, that you, hey, just stop. Yeah. Or we got to talk about this. Or we got to set up I an accountability that, that group. that Bob Newhart skit. Yeah, that, exactly. He's a psychiatrist and he's like, just, just stop. stop it. <laughs> yeah. And so, but but it's so, but, but, you know, it's something that is so noticeable, you know, if somebody's honest about it. Whereas you look at what I was doing. And I'm, I'm every bit of needing to be repentant. I'm every bit as lost in sort of like the murky, grimy, you know, sort of like pool of what yeah. I'm doing. It's still idolatry. It's still idolatry at the yeah, end of the yeah. day. It's finding your comfort and your satisfaction, you know, by something other than Jesus. But nobody's going to notice it. It's going to be way more hidden. Nobody's going to think it's disqualifying. But, but in fact, it was. And it wasn't until the Lord started revealing that to me and, and kind of— you know, kind of putting me on a path of of loss and suffering and opening my eyes to how deeply embedded these things were in me. I couldn't see it. It wasn't it wasn't until I was able to get eyes to see those things and then repent of those things and then start that long journey back from those things that things started to change in my life. But it was e- so I think that there's these there's this duality with these things. Where we have some of these above reproach things that are so blatant, and then there's these other things that nobody's ever going to notice like the things that I was trapped in and involved in, I'm still coming out of. And, and I think we have to take into consideration what that might be for a, somebody who's listening right now, because it may be that it's not something that anybody's ever going to be able to see. Yeah. You know? Th- that, that's a good transition to where I want to go next, yeah. which is we've talked about the obvious stuff mm. where someone mm-hmm. falls. I mean, sometimes that stuff is covered up. But by and large, when someone has an affair with their secretary or, yeah. or whatever— they get fired, they're disqualified. That's such an obvious thing. What about those who yeah. they're disqualified in in another one of these ways? They're not above reproach, and yet they're still leading. Yeah. This dynamic that we see playing out so often, whether it's someone who's disqualified and they lost their job, and but they immediately go to another church to pastor that church, or they plant a church or something without any kind of restoration process, without any kind of showing the the fruit of repentance or a track record of faithfulness outside of the spotlight. But sometimes just in the same church, in the same ministry, they, they haven't yeah. lost anything. Yeah, They're coasting on what? They get to maintain their position because of yeah. their, their gifting? The gifting, yeah. Because of the success? Yeah. Maybe there's somebody listening who they're in that position. Yeah. Like, man, my life is a mess. I am not above reproach, but church is going well. People mm-hmm. like me. Maybe somebody's listening is like they're on the verge of book deals or they've got books or they got a platform or they've got some kind of outlet of some kind or they're just people are showing up because you're a good communicator or you're a quote unquote good leader. But yeah, it's a whitewashed tomb situation. Yeah, 100%. Why does that 
why do churches so often kind of allow that? Or, or, or why does it happen? Maybe they're, you know, because sometimes I just think, as you said, there could just be this image. If you only see a guy on Sunday morning, which yeah. I've been in those churches, yeah, I was a part of a, a mega church where the, the pastor disqualified himself, not for sexual immorality, but for spiritual abuse, for being a, an ungentle, quarrelsome bully of a person. And then there were some not being greedy is one of the qualifications. Yeah, there yeah. were some financial improprieties and things as well. Yeah. But he went on for a long time in that route. It was kind of a pre-Mark Driscoll type situation. When the Driscoll stuff started playing out, I was like, oh, I've seen this before. Yeah. And there are people who see things, just as they did with, with Driscoll, who are like, hey, why aren't you all seeing this? Mm-hmm. And this fellow who disqualified himself, he was eventually fired because things just came to a head. Like there were just too many stories adding up. And they were beginning to have real impact. But for a long time, he was able to operate as a disqualified person because there were thousands of people at the church. Yeah. And people were happy. And we only saw him on Sunday morning. Like, I didn't know that was happening because I didn't know him personally. And I wasn't in the inner circle. And I wasn't in leadership at that time. And so I'm just showing up and I'm serving in different areas. But I don't see him day to day. That's right. I just see him on Sunday morning. I think everything's great. Is that how these things persist? I and think what's so. And what's the antidote? Well, I think, so what you said made me think of this. I think this is what's so dangerous. So when somebody is struggling with, like, porn or somebody has a sexual affair, like, it, that is not something that can be lodged in the midst of their gift mixing, right? It's, it's what does just, that mean, lodged in the mix? So what I think is, like, sometimes personality traits that are not above reproach, that actually become harmful to others and to the person that has them, they can become sort of, like, lodged in the, in the midst of their gift mixing so that it doesn't – sometimes it can even feel like it's something that enhances their gift mix. Okay. You so know? like a leadership style, like Drew yeah. used to talk about this, like, yeah. hey, people were rubbed wrong by my leadership style. I'm just a strong and leader. You, I, yeah. I, you know, I know where I, I want to take this church or this organization, yeah. and it takes, sometimes it takes a firm hand, sometimes it takes this, sometimes it takes that, and not everybody is going to get cozy with that. Yeah. But that doesn't mean I'm doing anything wrong. Well, you know, sometimes it doesn't, right? <laughs> I, I mean, that's true. But a lot of times it does. Yeah, there's nothing wrong with being decisive, taking initiative. Sure. That's not disqualifying, but bullying isn't a leadership style. Sometimes it's not the what, it's the way (laughs) you do the what, right? Yeah. (laughs) And so I always think that like this is where it gets dangerous because sin is like mold, right? So you can walk into a house and you can look around and you go, the house is beautiful, the walls are beautiful, the architecture is beautiful, and you don't know that there is mold growing you know, within the joints of the house until it, it, it gets to a place to where, hey, we're breathing in all this toxicity, we're sick now, and something's wrong, we don't know what it is, and then you tear down the wall, somebody that comes in that understands these things, and you go, oh, because there's mold growing, you just could have never seen it. And that's why a lot of these kind of these, these above reproach, I think, sin issues, they are sort of like they're, they're something that in some ways they're so lodged in the middle of a person's gift mix that it takes a long time for it to surface. And when it does, you see all the damage and you see that there's now a culture of, you know, toxicity and a lot of people have been suffering and a lot of people are in a place where it's just they couldn't locate it because it was hidden. And we've, we're seeing that happening all the time now with leaders, it seems like. You know? Yeah, the sad thing is sometimes I think the way that this gets fixed is just by people blowing stuff up, running people it seems over like it. and blowing up their life. And it seems like And it. I just wonder like, is this how it stops? I mean, what's the what's the alternative? And the alternative of course is for 
there to be transparency, for there to be appropriate accountability, that when you have eldership, you have a team of pastors, plurality, that there's true parity, that you have, I mean, I'm, I'll, I'll stump here as a good Baptist for congregational governance so that congregations are able to remove, you know, disqualified pastors, because sometimes you have leaders who kind of, you know, they cover up or they kind of shore up. If, if you don't have leaders that are able to kind of address these things, the congregation needs to be free to address those things. But in general, for the listener who's like, yeah. how, how, how do I avoid this? I want to be, I want to pursue the qualification of being above reproach. We're talking about personal holiness, that you have a vital, vibrant relationship with Christ that you're pursuing on a daily basis, and not merely as an academic, intellectual exercise, and certainly not merely as a means of usefulness for your ministry. There's a a mode in which pastors can be doing spiritual stuff, but not actually growing spiritually because everything is utilitarian. Like, I've got to prep the sermon, I've got to prep the lesson, I've got to be a religious person because that's my vocation. That's not the same thing as actually cultivating a friendship with Christ that is changing you, the Holy Spirit sanctifying you over time. So it's not a perfectly it's not a perfect trajectory. Yeah. And yet it's different than just using the stuff, but actually being used by the stuff, being nourished by the stuff. Yeah. But there's also just friendship and being known and That's being right. transparent and confessional. That's kind of where it starts, doesn't it? I think it does. And I think I think one of the questions, like, so if 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 there's a leader listening to this right now, and there's something in their heart that says, "Man, I want to avoid this," I and I think, I think one of the things that leaders have to ask themselves, and what they need to do in their quiet time with Jesus as a starting point, is say, "Lord, surface my fears. What am I afraid of people finding out about me?" And it's, I think, it's a process, right? It doesn't just correct itself overnight. But it does, I think it does begin with a leader going before his leaders, his friends, and saying, hey, I like how Chuck DeGroote says this when he says, hey, how do you, he asked the question, how do you experience me? And sort of hmm. the ability, and again, if we talk about gospel centrality, the gospel has made it so that we don't have to, you know, those those fears of being known or being found out were, were laid on the shoulders of Jesus on the cross. It doesn't mean it's still not scary. It just means that if we care about cultivating a healthy environment within our churches and on our leadership teams, we have to be able to say, hey, can we, can we talk about the things that we're fearful of each other finding out about each other? Can we talk about the ways that we experience each other? Is there anything that we need to talk about so that we are not cultivating something that is like mold, you know, beneath, beneath the, the shiny white walls of our house and ends up, you know, creating something toxic, you know, down the road that we, that we actually can address right now if we are just willing to not allow our fears to be the motivators and the drivers of, of, our, of our church environments, you yeah. know. And so the Lord has to give us courage in that. Yes. We have to pray, Lord, give me courage. Give me courage to be that transparent with my, with my leaders as a starting point because that's what it's going to take is courage. Yeah. It's scary and hard, but the best things are. 100%. The things that are most worth it are. Yeah. Man, it was great talking with you. What a, what an episode! How do you think first this ep- first episode go? First I mean, real episode. I don't know. I'm I'm curious. You okay. know, where we? I mean, I know we're we're coming in pretty understated. Yeah. You know, we're keep, this is a little more serious. Feels a little more subdued. It was subdued. Let's have some more laughs in the next. Maybe episode. next one will will be a little more laughy. But we'll, then we'll we'll yuck it up. We'll yuck it up maybe a little bit. But I don't know. These topics are serious. So how how <laughs> how yuck do we get it? I don't you know? know. I don't know. Guess we'll find out. 
it's a it's a journey. Well, that's that's hard for me because I'm more of a destination okay. guy. So. Well, I want to thank everyone for going on the journey with us. It's great talking with you. Likewise. Yeah. Next time. You've been listening to the Heart of Pastoring with Jared Wilson and Ronnie Martin, a podcast from Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. Learn more about Midwestern at mbts.edu and for the church at ftc.co.